شوند. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Pie Factory podcast. Yay, episode five. Episode five. uh, Starring me. Starring me, Sean or Dauber, Scattered Frog. uh, Or in some cases, 37 Bang WS. In some cases, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, what was that again? We said last week, Big McLarge Huge. Big McLarge Huge, yep. To my, probably about 50 miles southwest is... Jimmy G. And so, hey, uh, guess what? We have a podcast. Yay! It's something that we did last time, and I think we should do uh, whenever, well, obviously, whenever we feel the need to, is uh, any addenda, any errata, any updates on uh, prior um, prior episodes. Have you any? You know what? At work today, I was just thinking of, uh, we should make this a regular feature, addendum and errata. Addendum and errata, addendum and errata, addendum and errata. Anyway, so, um, yeah, a couple of things about Crystal Castles. I don't really have, I don't have anything on Klax, but Crystal Castles just got a few things that are kind of minor. Uh, missed out on two enemies I totally forgot about to mention. One is a ghost, which behaves pretty much the same as the skeleton. And the cauldron, which is Berthilda the Witch's, well, cauldron. Uh, you die if you run into it uh, without wearing the hat. It never goes away. But it does something interesting. If you are being followed by any of the bad guys and you jump over it or pass through it with the while wearing the uh, the hat, they can't chase you through it. So that's a kind of a nice little thing to remember about strategy. Just remember to jump over it. Because sometimes in Crystal Castles, it is kind of hard to, you know, to judge where you're jumping. Uh, it's just the nature sure. of the game. But unlike other games, it doesn't, it doesn't seem unfair. But, you know, there you go. And... Um, we did made mention of a Easter egg where if you hit jump 128 times in the what was it the uh, the upper rightmost corner I'm th- I'm thinking that this is a bunch of uh, Barbara Streisand for the reason being that to jump 128 times first thing you have to do first of all the jump takes about one maybe one and a half seconds I'll probably err around one second to jump. And by the time you get 128 seconds, and that's over two minutes, at that point, the uh, the bees, the deadly bees, throwback to a classic cheesy 70s when nature attacks film, um, the deadly bees will uh, come straight down on you so fast that you don't see them appearing from the top of the screen. I mean, they are that fast at that point. I tried this on the first level with, uh, with the invincibility cheat on. While that possibly could have something to do with the fact that I didn't do it, there's just no way you can get 128 jumps in without getting killed by the bees, unless you're invincible. By the way, the invincibility cheat in MAME consists of make putting the invincibility hat on you permanently. So I don't think you're really destroying much of the game with that. But um, So yeah, I think, this is a, I think it's an impossibility, and I can't find any videos on YouTube of anybody achieving this feat. Oh, what happens, I'm sorry, if you do 128 jumps in the corner, and you get to the next screen, the word Atari comes across the screen... I think it's an urban legend. If anybody out there has anything to add to that, shoot us off an email and let us know. Or just shoot us off. Or just shoot. Hey, now. There are certain bars you can go into Chicago for that. I'm sorry. This We're trying to keep this PG rated. But uh, yeah, sh- zip us off an email and let us know if you've seen this because I highly doubt it's possible. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I dare you. We can do a whole show about video game urban legends. We could. We could. 
but we're not going to. Well, as an addendum to uh, what I was talking about last week, I just tonight got an email from Super Happy Fun Fun. Now, those of you who heard uh, oh. the prior episode might remember that Super Happy Fun Fun is the uh, the company that makes a game called Starburst, mm-hmm. designed by Dave Akers of Clax fame. And in fact, Starburst essentially is Clax. And I sent them an email saying, hey, you know what? Your app does not work on iOS 8, the current version. You're getting a lot of low ratings for it. Finally got an email back. Hi, Sean. Thanks for contacting us, and sorry it's taken so long to get back to you. I'll pass this up the chain and let the team know people are asking for updates. With the product being one of our older ones, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll certainly let the team know. Regards, SHFF support. (laughs) So you got the typical... Your call is very important to us email. Yes, I did. Yeah, I kind of figured there was probably more of a team behind it, but didn't realize it was that old. You should have asked them if it's ever coming out for Android, because I want to play it. Oh, yeah. Well, they'll probably say, well, with such an old product, there's no guarantee. Oh, and one other thing, as long as we're talking about this, it just occurred to me that uh, Sega actually had a uh, version of Zaxxon for uh, Android and iOS a while, a few years ago, but they pulled it. It was called Zaxxon the Escape, and it got really low ratings because it really didn't have much to do with Zaxxon. Ah. It was, I mean, it had the spaceship and it had the asteroids, but it wasn't 3D, the isometric, and it was more like, um, the way I understand it, like, uh, what is that popular game uh, that's been around, uh, like the Temple Run type style where you're, like, running, except you're in a spaceship. So, although I think it would be kind of neat to have a Zaxxon in the isometric perspective on a uh, on a on a device with a touch screen cuz i think that would be kind of interesting to uh, to navigate so if any developers out there are listening that's on my wish list and another addenda for our previous episode we talked about clacks you know i like to give shout outs to the people who do who get the high scores on there and i forgot to do that oh. according to orcade.com the world record for clacks was performed at galloping ghost arcade uh-huh and by the way i did get to play it at galloping ghost when i was there this past uh, saturday so yay but the world record according to orcade is 769,345 set by fred oaks nice um, whom i've had the pleasure of uh, meeting and chatting with a couple of times. Really nice guy. Even after I beat his house high score at, at uh, Junior Pac-Man Turbo at uh, Underground Retro Game. A really nice guy. And something I just want to say about Chicago area gamers is that I've found that they are more than willing to share their strategies with people. Unlike how you have other people who are like, oh, I don't want my secrets out. Fred is among them. So there are so many people out there who are absolutely w- like willing to help you out. So. Huzzah! Thanks to Fred, and I told him I'd give him a little shout-out. So. Oh, there you go. There's a little one. Now, Twin Galaxies, however, says that the world record was set by Paul Hornitsky on June 4th, 2012, with a score of 2,833,216, uh, verified by a DVD submission. And we might as well do the same thing for Crystal Castles. This did not make the final cut of the episode, but we were wondering why there w- if it was true that, say, Underground Retrocade doesn't accept scores for uh for using warps Mm -hmm. i checked in with scott lambert who's the uh owner and proprietor there he said that they've uh, i don't i can't i couldn't really tell whether he said he doesn't or he hasn't had a chance yet to actually adjudicate a score with warps but regardless on arcade.com with warps richie knuckles arcade has the record 
848,872 set by Mark Alpager, I believe it's uh, pronounced. Uh, that was done September 25th, 2009. Uh-huh. With no warps, 322,820 by Nick Saltzman at Underground Retrocade. And if we take a look at Twin Galaxies, now Twin Galaxies is interesting because their rules specifically say, and I quote, while all warping is permitted, players are not allowed to use warps unlocked by another player's gaming effort. Yeah. You may only use a warp unlocked from a previous gaming attempt if you yourself were the gamer. Which the unlocked warp is the uh, the tunnel on the first screen, which is, it basically acts like a continue. According to Twin Galaxies, they have the world record being set March 17th, 1988. Uh, I don't know how this gentleman's name is pronounced, so I apologize. Frank S-E-A-Y with a score of 910,722. So there you have it. There we go. So I just wanted to give a shout out where shout out was due. So do you have any uh, any interesting news to share regarding, say, arcade games or anything else worth sharing? Uh, nothing other than I'm searching for an arcade that has, in the Chicago area, that has a Firefox machine because I love the game and I want to play it on the original hardware. And I, I would love to play it, it period. We're going to get that set up for you one of these days. One of these days? Pow! I have a, a bit of news here and there that I can, I, I suppose, share. Um, first of all, um, you've heard us mention Richie Knuckles Arcade in Flemington a couple of times. Well, they will be hosting Kong Off 4. Hey, 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 watch your language. I, I, I understand. Hey, we talked about honeypots last week. We're talking about Konging Off right now. <laughs> so, uh, Kong Off 4 will be held at the Replay Effects Arcade and Gaming Festival um, July 30th through August 2nd. Kong Off is going to be part of that. Where is that? Uh, that's going to be at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center in Pittsburgh. What was the date again? Uh, July 30th through August 2nd ah, I won't be of there. this year, 2015. We'll put a link to the event in the show notes, of course. Uh, so thanks to uh, Richie Knuckles for that information. I was just notified of this literally two minutes ago. Uh, I happened to have huh. my Facebook open and I got a message from uh, Richie Knuckles Arcade. So. And another uh, New Jersey Arcade update. Yesterday's of Red Bank, they are resuming their bi-weekly Tuesday night tournaments. Now, we record on Tuesday nights, and as we're recording right now, I believe they are having a uh, Super Smash Brothers tournament, so any of my neighbors around me I'll listening see. to this, you want to hurry up and uh, get your butts over to Red Bank, New Jersey. It'll take you about uh, 20 hours to drive, well, 16 hours to drive, give or take. Contestants are allowed to bring their own controllers if they want to, but uh, nonetheless, they are having bi-weekly tournaments to be uh-huh. announced. That's good to know. And uh, this isn't so much news as it is olds because this already happened, but uh, those of you who are regular listeners heard me mention that uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade was having their T20 tournament. Well, that just happened uh, this past weekend from which we were recording. I did spend some time at Galloping Ghost on uh, this past Saturday, May 30th. I didn't actually participate in the tournament, though, because most of the games involved I had never even heard of. And I was like, you know, why should I participate when my score is going to suck, you know? We'll rattle off a few of the games. Well, Wacko was one of them, which oh, I have heard of. I love and I that I always game. wanted to play, but the games that were in the tournament, they were closed off for anybody who wasn't in the tournament, so I mm. couldn't play that one. I love the uh, I love the cabinet on that because the uh, the control panel was on an angle, like a literal horizontal angle. I'm sorry, not horizontal, vertical. I always wanted to play that game. I never had a chance to. Never nice chance. Uh, joystick trackball combination. I don't know what all games were. I know there was a game called Trog involved. Oh, Trog's a fun one. 
which I never even heard of until there, but there were like 18 other games. I don't remember which ones were were involved. In fact, the developer of Trog, George Petro, was on hand for the festivities that night. Oh, sweet. And I didn't realize it, but uh, I posed for a picture and he's in it. Oh, I I think I've seen that one. Isn't a a certain other uh, video game celebrity in that one? Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. But yeah, George Petro is the devel- also the developer of Big Buck Hunter and a developer of NBA Jam. And in fact, one of the Easter eggs in NBA Jam is you can play as George Petro. Oh, sweet. And just as a coincidence, um, there's a guy named George Petro. I doubt it's the same one who directed a certain movie that happens to be an extreme coincidence with what we're talking about tonight. Uh, we'll get to that later on, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were all kinds of things happening at Galloping Ghost on Saturday. And there was a, a world record attempt. The Guinness Book people were over. They want, they were having a world record attempt for the most, the, the biggest number of people simultaneously playing arcade games. Oh, wow. And what happened, I got there literally an hour too late for that. Mm. But what happened was, as you walked in the door, if you were participating, they would hand you a sticker with a number and a game assignment this okay you're number 42 you play tempest or whatever they ended up with 207 people simultaneously playing the games Uh setting the record beating it by about 20 oh wow and also the guinness book folks apparently officially declared them the world's largest arcade yay yay chicago area much rejoicing And I don't know how up-to-date this is, but according to Orcade.com, Funspot, which previously held the title, has 378 games. It's, I'm talking arcade games and pinball machines. Mm-hmm. According to Arcade, Galloping Ghost has 468. So. Wow. So, yeah. I've been to Galloping Ghost, and I'm, I'm wondering if they expanded? I mean, they, when I was there last time, they had a pinball room, but you had to actually go outside onto the sidewalk on Ogden Avenue and go two doors down. It's the same building, but yeah. you had to go, like, two doors down, and then they had, like, a small, like, pinball room, but... It was worth it because they have my all-time favorite pinball machine there, the Twilight Zone pinball. When I went there on Saturday, that room was where the where the T20 games were. Oh. I don't know if they have physically expanded yet, but man, that going in there, it's like a it's a huge freaking maze now. And I know that to accommodate all these games, a lot of them what they did was uh, they took some of the motherboards from the games and stuck like two of them in one cabinet and installed yeah. a, a toggle. Like right now, they're having a big fundraiser to help expand, help to buy out some adjacent space, I believe, so Uh they can actually have a lot more room so they can put these boards back in their original cabinets and everything. Oh, cool. Um, Highly encourage people, you know, if you have a few bucks to spare, please donate it to a good cause. It's, uh, you know, Doc's doing a hell of a job running that place. Now, is there a, uh, is this like a GoFundMe thing or is it something you have to actually go to the arcade to do or how's that work? I think it's either, I know they take donations at the arcade. I don't know about the GoFundMe if they have one. I will, uh, I'll be happy to do some research and if I can find any further information. If not, uh, they should have one. Yeah, absolutely. I th- they may have a Kickstarter or something. If they do, you better believe the URL is going into the show notes. Yeah. Screw world hunger. Donate so we can get a bigger arcade in Chicago. All the world's yes. problems are solved. Yes. 468 games, not enough. Yes. But uh, in addition to those world records, uh, there were about 10 or 11 world record high scores set that night, too. 
Oh, wow. Including on Flicky, Golden Axe, uh, Sol Divide, Trog, and a few others. I don't remember Ooh, off the top of my head. And on top of all that, one of the celebrities in attendance that day was Walter Day. Now, who is that? I know who it is, but I'm just humoring people. Ah, Walter Day, for those of you who don't know, is essentially the founder of twin galaxies he's no longer involved with twin galaxies but he's the founder he's like the basically the the father the grandfather the great grandfather of competitive video gaming okay if you watch just about any of the arcade game documentaries out there with the exception of the space invaders you will see walter day in that in that documentary but yeah, May 30th, uh, Saturday, that was, a, that was a, a really great night, and they also had an awards ceremony. Now, what's happening, I believe, I, someone, someone can certainly clarify or correct me, but uh, I believe Galloping Ghost is kind of in charge of this, but there are actually uh, arcade game trading cards. And they were presenting people with their own arcade game trading cards. I mean, now, I think Billy wow. Mitchell was one of the first people ever to get one of these things like a long time ago. Um, some of the recipients were, I believe, oh, one of them who I actually met, I was actually introduced to almost the second I walked in. Uh, there's a guy named Daniel Piscina. Do you, have you ever heard of him, Jim? I have not. All right. Well, let me tell you who Daniel Piscina is. Well, first I'll tell you how I met him. Um, I, you know, I was in there a few minutes, and my friend Duke. If any of you in the Chicago area are listening here, any of you who have ever set foot in a Chicago area arcade, you will have you either have met Duke or you will meet Duke. He's one of the most social people I've ever known. But I walk in, and he goes over to Daniel Piscina. He's like, hey, Daniel, this is my friend Sean. He does a podcast. In fact, he just talked about Mortal Kombat last week. You know, so you should hear his show. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, I was talking to this guy for a really nice guy. And, you know, later on, Duke and I were talking. And Duke's like, oh, yeah, Daniel, he's a he's a really down-to-earth guy. And I'm like, what do you mean down-to-earth? He's like, oh, oh, Daniel, he's um, he's the original Johnny Cage. I was like, really? And then I felt really bad because he seemed to be a really nice guy. And I felt really bad about, you know, what we said about Mortal Kombat, <laughs> you know, after talking with him. And... Later on, I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't know if I want him, if I want him to hear that show. He's a nice guy. I don't want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> and then I did some research on this guy. Well, he's in the Chicago area, and in fact, he works just a few doors down from the Old Town School of Folk Music, where I take, uh, where I, I take music classes there, like, perpetually. Like, every week I'm there. And where he works is a uh, martial arts institute. He is an expert martial artist. So, great. If he takes Duke's advice and listens to our podcast, he's going to hear me bash Mortal Kombat, which he was a big part of. He, he was not oh. only Johnny Cage, but also a couple of other characters. The man knows what I look like. The man is in uh -oh. much better shape than I am. And he's a master in martial arts, and he teaches martial arts. I am toast. I, I think, though, he will, <laughs> if he hears the episode, uh, he will hear where we said that we think it would be interesting to have a documentary about the people who were involved in the in the acting portion of, uh, of the Mortal Kombat game. I do think that would be very fascinating, and I'm sure he's a, probably a very, very, very fascinating man. I agree, and he, and let me tell you something about this guy. I was you know, during the awards ceremony, and I was yeah, you know, I was standing next to him. Some little kid came up to him and got in this like fighting stance, and so the two of them had this little mock like martial arts fight. It was the coolest thing. I got a couple of pictures. I'll post them if they're any good. I haven't seen them, but I just thought that was really cool of him to do what, that. What was the know? guy's name again? Daniel Pessina. Daniel Pessina wins. Something to that effect. Um, <laughs> Jeff Lee, who developed Cubert, was on hand. 
But yeah, you may have heard me mention before that Galloping Ghost has a Kubert cabinet autograph by the Kubert developer while he was on hand. I semi-accidentally got to meet with him and talk with him for a little bit. He's a really nice guy, he is. Joel West, uh, if you saw Chasing Ghost, he was he was in Chasing Ghosts and he was on hand too. Brian Collin, who was the artist for uh, Rampage, was there. Oh, sweet. Uh, the thing I always loved about Rampage is that it starts in the Chicago area. That's true. Isn't Joliet one of the cities? In the original Rampage, it starts in Joliet. In Rampage World Tour, it starts in Kankakee. Oh, right. Kankakee has been destroyed. Yes, that was my uh, desktop image on my uh, PC at work for a while. And also, who was there that weekend? Uh, the one and only Billy Mitchell. Yes. Did you actually get to meet him, or did you just know he was there? He had just left right when I got there, so I didn't get to see him or anything. And everybody I talked to said pretty much the same thing. Pretty much confirms what we had believed and what we talked about uh, last episode, is that he is a really nice guy. Yeah, the, the, the movie King of Kong made him out to be like this bad, like, douchebag type guy but like i had said everything i'd heard about him says he's like a really nice guy and i'm tempted to believe it because you know as i said before you know how movies and documentaries are they have to have some sort of conflict and um, absolutely everybody said yeah billy mitchell really nice guy i met i got to meet walter day very briefly i, w- I wanted to meet him i just didn't know what to say to him. i didn't really have much to say but everybody i talked to was like oh yeah trust me you need to meet walter day you gotta meet him Hi, Walter so you like, Day. Could you tell us about recording of the song Jungle Love? Oh. Hey, isn't he? didn't he retire to take up a singing career? Maybe he covered that. Ooh, you never know. Yeah, Walter, if you're listening, please let us know if you covered that. Yeah, uh, Walter Day, please cover Morris Day. So, yeah, so I basically went over to him. I said, I said, look, sir, I have the social skills of a moth, so I'm going to be very awkward, but I just wanted to meet you and say hi. And I very quickly found out why everybody told me I got to talk to him. He is such a nice guy. You know, there was something else about King of Kong. Uh, they kind of made him out to be a bit of a jerk, if, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't think so. You didn't think so? I, I had heard that there was some... Some people were saying that he he wasn't really in the film a whole lot, but I had heard some people say that it made him look out to be a jerk, and honestly, I didn't see it. But, I mean, that movie, it, it was it was entertaining, but take it for what it is, entertainment. But, yeah, I mean, he's he was a really sweet guy. Really sweet guy for the, the, the brief time that I talked to him. And on the way out, he was kind of in the door. He was kind of in the little corridor that goes on the way out. He was talking to some people, you know. And I said my buys, you know, I said, said, yeah, he said, hey, nice to meet you, Mr. Day. And this is like five hours after we talked very briefly. He said, hey, pleasure to meet you, Sean. I was like, oh my God, he remembered my name. <laughs> While I was at it, I played Zookeeper in an actual Zookeeper machine for the first time since the 80s. And I was so happy, and I scored 328,430. Woohoo! Which Way is about three times my highest in name, and still uh, <laughs> a really sucky score compared to a lot of people. I actually got to the second um, escalator round. And you know, we've we've said this before. If we haven't said it outright, we've we've certainly hinted at it that a lot of these games are really fun in Maine. But really, you got to get out to the arcade or somewhere to play them because Zookeeper is a fun game. But until you can get into the um, get into an arcade and you got all of the hubbub and other machines that's going on around you, you you really kind of miss out on the uh, miss out on the experience. Yeah, Mame is fun, but man, when you have the real machine there, it's it's really something else. Oh, and also the following day, May thirty first, just unannounced everything. 
Guess who walks into Underground Retrocade? Walter Day. So that's all I had to say about that. Yeah, I know about that because sometime in the afternoon, the Underground Retrocade Facebook page posted a picture uh, of Walter Day. I think it was a publicity picture or something. And the caption underneath says, do you know who this guy is? If you do, get down here right now. He just walked in. (laughs) Nice. So anyway, while I was at Galloping Ghost, out of the at least 468 games they had, they had both of the games that we're going to talk about tonight so i got to try both of them out on the real cabinet so we do have a common theme with this uh with every episode and um we've already announced the games we're going to be doing but what do you say uh which one do you think we should talk about first well let's go with the one that was uh named after an abba song commando yeah let's go with commando commando is a game from capcom uh capcom actually had a game on the nes called captain commando which is I don't think it's related to this game. There's kind of a whole weird thing there. Uh, according to my information that I have up here, the Japanese name is Senjo no Okami, which means Wolf of the Battlefield. Uh, they called a run-and-gun, vertically-scrolling arcade game from 1985. Uh, I actually, back in the... <laughs> way back when, Ferg, had this, <laughs> had this <laughs> on, my, uh, on my NES. The NES version was pretty slick, but uh, what it is, it's a, as I said, it's vertically-scrolling, and you got this commando, and you're uh, trying to, uh, I guess, save the uh, save the POWs, and um, you know, all the while shooting people. This isn't the very first of the uh, of this kind of vertically scrolling type game. There was uh, Tato had one called uh, Frontline, which had a really weird way to toss the grenade. It had like a dial, like kind of like Tron, except it clicked. It didn't spin. And then to launch the grenade, you pushed down on the dial, which was weird. In Commando, you just got a joystick and a shoot button and a grenade button. Um, depending on the settings, you can start with three people. I don't remember how many grenades you start with, but you do not have unlimited grenades uh, every so often. You'll... No, but you can get a lot more, though, in progress, I noticed. I was like, man, I'm really building up a lot of grenades. Yes, you can. Uh, they're everywhere. Uh, you can just just by killing people. And um, there's, uh, there's four different sections. I can't remember all the... Uh, been a while since i've actually gotten real far in the game and the last time i did it was the nes version there, there are many different levels at the end of them you get pretty much go up against the fort and uh, you kill everybody coming out of it kind of like a boss fight the thing i hated most about commando when i originally played it way back when was every so often there's a bridge that goes over the thing where over the uh, over the screen over the play field where like a motorcycle will come out with uh, people tossing grenades over the side or that sort of thing and it, it forces you to go into the small area underneath the bridge it makes you an easier target you could be in a kind of easier level and then you hit on you get under there and then suddenly it's like you know almost instant death so you really got to plan that out enemies everywhere bullets flying everywhere and grenades flying everywhere and uh, hey, is it possible to kill that motorcycle guy i don't know that's a good question i would think it would be theoretically possible with the grenade i could see why the bullet wouldn't do it i will have to turn some cheats on and maim and check that out and the thing is like when you toss the grenade if you're right in, if you're right where the motorcycle is it actually goes through the gate but if you're off to the side it goes up to the top where the motorcycle is but not actually hitting the motorcycle I wonder if you can't kill him I bet that's a a, a graphical glitch there of some sort um, I know that the uh, I don't think you could kill it on the NES either hmm I'll have to trick into that according to this the uh, the name of the guy you play in commando is a guy named Super Joe 
is a machine gun has unlimited ammunition, which is very realistic. Other games that were around in this genre, I also remember is um, Ikari Warriors, which was that was my first thought when I played this. This is this reminds me so much of Ikari Warriors. But this is so much. The, the controls are so much more streamlined over Ikari Warriors and oh, yeah. uh, and Frontline, because Frontline I just talked about the dial. Uh, Akari Warriors had a weird joystick dial combination. You could go forward, but you turn the joystick so that you, while you have it pushed forward, you could turn it and be moving up and then shooting to the left. And once again, I believe the, the controller clicked also into position. And uh, that was just kind of weird and awkward. I'm not, Akari Warriors was a fun game in the arcade, but the control was kind of awkward. And they still ported it to the NES. Like Akari Warriors, Commando, I believe, had only four zones, but unlike Akari Warriors, they didn't go on and on and on and on and on. Oh, God, Akari Warriors just took forever just to get... You could clear probably the first four levels, maybe even six levels of Commando in the time it would take you to clear the first level of Akari Warriors. Akari Warriors was just outrageously hard, but we're talking about Commando here. Commando was distributed in the U.S. by Data East, but it was a Capcom game. Actually, according to Arcade, it was Sega. No, no, no. Sega had a game called... had had a different game called Commando back in the late 70s, early 80s. Totally different game. I have played it. It's a totally different uh, type of game. I believe it's a single-screen game that's not too much unlike Missile Command in ways. I'll have to double-check that. Every time I say double-check that, you can all take a drink. I'm going to have a drink of water. So it came to pass. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. That was two drinks. So... Yeah, Sega's Commando was a totally, absolutely different game. Uh, as I had mentioned, this one in Japan was called Sunjo no Okami. This game was on almost every damn console you can think of. In fact, I think the only console it wasn't on was the ColecoVision, uh, which is weird because um, Activision released it for the 2600, and uh, NTV released it for the Intellivision. It was on the Amiga, the Atari ST, uh, ZX Spectrum, and it's Z, not Z. You people over there in Great Britain are wrong. Uh, um, actually, it's Z everywhere except the United States. Well, everywhere else is wrong. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Commodore 64, BBC Micro, uh, I think I already mentioned that. And... Um, let me see. It was re-released on the Wii Virtual Console in Japan as Wolf of the Battlefield Commando. They had a, There was a sequel to this game in 1989 called Mercs, which is kind of a similar thing, except it was two players, which I kind of enjoyed it. It was known as Senjo no Okami 2 in Japan. And another sequel, Wolf of the Battlefield Commando 3, was released as a downloadable title for the Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Network in 2008. Uh, in the U.S., Bionic Commando, which was a fun game, but totally different uh, totally different uh, concept, was released as a sequel. And uh, the uh, soldier in the game was also identified as Super Joe. I'm Super Joe. There was a game called Duet by Elite Systems, which was first called Commando 86 and then Commando 87. That's uh, my little bit of uh, plagiarism from Wikipedia there. Let me see. It was released on uh, Capcom Classics Collection, the Activision Anthology, and the Wii Virtual Console, as well as Capcom Arcade Cabinet for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Huh. I bet that's kind of interesting. I never heard of that one. But So... This is a fun... I like this game. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's 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 pretty dang hard, but um, there's a lot of action going on. 
sound effects. It's got some nice sound effects. It's nothing spectacular like some of the games we've uh, we've talked about. But uh, given the uh, the fact that you're pretty much in a desert setting on this, it's colorful for actually being, you know, set in the desert. I mean, it's a fun game. It's not a great game. It's not a great game. You know, I don't think it would be like you know on a list of best games ever created. But I think yeah. it would be kind of. You know, in our scale, I would in our in our scale, I would rate this game a four. It's a it's a it's a fun game. It's it's nice to play and um, lots of action going on. Lots of soldiers. It's got enough challenge to keep you coming back. And um, I'd have to give it a three. I mean, I like it. I just don't love it. I mean, I'll probably I'll probably play it a couple of times more, especially to uh, to improve my fifty seven thousand high. Uh, oh, considering wow. that, according to Orcade.com, the world record set by Eric Geddes on May 29th, 2009 at Fun Spot. The high score there is 1,173,700. Oh, wow. While Twin Galaxies, however, says that the world record set by Tim Balderamos on July 5th, 1986 is 10,051,200. Wow. Well, the good news is I'm less than 10 million away from the world record, the official yeah. gold standard world record. So well, there hey. you go. Yeah, it is a fun game. I mean, it's it's very hard. I mean, you probably have to play it a billion times to get anywhere because, man, I can't even rescue a prisoner. You know, I've got to mention uh, about a couple of the ports. The Atari 2600 one was actually pretty good for what uh, what they had to work with. Obviously, you can't deliver the same level of challenge, but uh, it was, for what it was, it was pretty good. But the NES version was phenomenal because, it, once again, I mean, I talked about how uh, Zaxxon on the Coleco Atom was was uh, superior because you know, they had all of these new levels and stuff that they created for it. They added, and this was actually kind of a common thing for NES as well, where they would add different uh, new challenges and conceits and or what have you for uh, for the different games. Like the NES version, uh, the grenades were not just for destroying people that were behind sandbags, but uh, if you bombed the right places, there were hidden bunkers you could go into to rescue more, um, more prisoners or to get power-ups. There is a more powerful machine gun uh, upgrade. I mean, there are power-ups in this one, don't get me wrong, but they're much more powerful ones in the NES, and there's also uh, some glasses that you can get to see where all the hidden bunkers are and uh, an unlimited grenade upgrade. However, you will lose any of those if you lose a life, but... uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out the NES version, grab yourself an emulator and check it out. It is really excellent. It's well done. Or grab I mean, the real NES if you so desire. Or you could do that. Uh, it's it's really fun. Uh, it does suffer from flicker, which is something consistent with the NES, uh, something that the Atari 7800 never had a problem with. I uh, just might want to add there. And uh, Actually, Commando was on the 7800 now that I think about it, and I believe it had a pokey chip. Commando is one of only two original Atari 7800 games that uses that use the pokey chip. The other, of course, is Ball Blazer. There is at least one homebrew that also uses it, but talking original run, Commando Ball Blazer. I found this interesting. On Wikipedia, uh, if you do a search for Super Joe, it redirects here. And it also says, for the 1970 toy line, see G.I. Joe. So, I don't know if people were confusing that, but or if G.I. Joe was originally called Super Joe, but I just thought that interesting. Right, and as we said before in Pie Factory Podcast, one of the, one of our uh, things that we like to do is talk about our memories of Commando. Well, honestly, the only memories I have of Commando is uh, <laughs> playing it at Galloping Ghost uh, just three days ago. So there you have it. You know, and I actually, 
actually played Commando in, uh, actually, once again, Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall, Joliet, Illinois. I think that was the only arcade in the Joliet area that had Commando. My the only other thing, the only there was nothing really fancy that I remember about playing it um, those uh, three magical days ago. Other than that, on the control panel, treat yeah the control pa- the instructions near the control panel um, incl- uh, says and I quote: "Trees and other obstacles can be used for cover." I found that total, complete bull... It's interesting you mentioned that, because I was looking at um, the Kalov uh, Arcade, what is it, ArcadeMuseum.org or whatever it's called, and they said that the first ROM of the game, you could hide behind the trees and uh, and the bridge and and things like that to avoid uh, enemy fire. But they've changed that in the second ROM. So oh. that machine you played must have a later ROM version. Very well might. So I thought that interesting. I uh, did not know about that before. Well, I've got nothing more to add about Commando, so unless you have something to say, then let's bag it. Let's bag it, and let's go on to our next game. Uh, we're talking about, of course, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Now, there's a lot to say about this game. This is, uh, oh, and... In doing some research on this, remember uh, when we were talking about Mortal Kombat, how I thought it, uh, I was thinking it was a Williams game, but it was Midway? Uh, in playing Terminator 2 the other day, I noticed the title screen said Midway, but it also said WMS. So by that point, and the graphics are the same kind of graphics as Mortal Kombat. So by that point, Williams and Midway were one and the same. So And Williams also had a Terminator 2 Judgment Day pinball machine. Which is my second favorite pinball machine of all time, I might add. So Terminator 2 Judgment Day follows the film of the same name. Uh, It has cameos from um, Robert Patrick, Edward Furlong, and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the film. Uh, Interestingly enough, Linda Hamilton, nor her identical twin sister, by the way, which was part of the... It was interesting when they made the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day. had no idea she had an identical twin sister, and they pretty much used her to good effect in uh, the movie. Linda Hamilton is not actually in the game. She refused to be in it. She is instead played by Debbie Evans. The game pretty much follows the plot of the movie. It's a two-player at the same time game. There are two guns mounted on the machine. And uh, you have your trigger, and then you have a grenade button on the side. It's got multiple stages. The first couple stages, the first three stages, four stages, take place in the future. Uh, The first stage is you're on the battlefield, and you've got to basically just kill all the HKs, the hunter killers, the airborne ones, and the ground ones, and all the Terminators that come out, uh, while avoiding human casualties, which in MAME, if you don't have your uh, cursor synchronized properly, uh, you're going to have some human casualties. So if you're playing it at home, you're going to want to have your mouse cursor synced up properly with that so you got so you're accurate. So you avoid the human casualties, and then at the end of the first level, you got to go up against uh, a ground-based HK, which kind of hard to defeat, and you're just blasting away at the different parts of the machine, uh, the guns and everything, and then once you kill it, then a bunch of uh, T-800s come out, pour out of it, gold T-800s, by the way, and uh, mow them all down, and uh, then you move to the next level. Um, and then it comes, after that, it comes up with a, you know, performance screen, kind of like how those games of the day from Williams slash Midway had to do, like uh, Smash TV and all of those at that time had. Then what happens is you go to the next screen, which is the Humans Hideout, which, according to Wikipedia, is uh, the destroyed remains of the Galleria Mall in 
Los Angeles, which I thought interesting because the Galleria Mall is uh, in the movie is where the T-1000 goes searching for John Connor in an arcade. <laughs> and no, he was not playing the Terminator 2 arcade game, which would have been interesting. Uh, then what happens is there's no boss at the end of that one. And then you have the hardest freaking screen in the whole damn game next. You have to protect John Connor in the pickup truck going from the base to Cyberdyne Systems. And you have to protect it at all costs. There's going to be hunter killers going across the top and they're shooting at the truck and you have to get the truck all the way to uh, Cyberdyne. I believe if you if it gets destroyed once, you have one more shot to do it. Um, I have to double check that. Drink. God, that screen is so damn hard because you also got T-800s running back and forth. The strategy for that screen is just ignore the T-800s. At the very beginning of it, before the truck sets out, there's a bunch of boxes on the... There's boxes everywhere in the game, and if you shoot them open, there'll be upgrades and and sometimes missiles that you can get. There's going to be a bunch of boxes on the ground with missiles. Get every single damn one of those missiles you can. You're going to need them on the screen. You don't have to shoot down the HKs, but you got to at the very least disable them, and it is hard to do if you're playing one player. It's not easy if you're doing it with two players, but if you're doing it with one player, you're pretty much not going to, unless you're really good, you're not really going to get past that screen. It is difficult beyond belief. And at any rate, once after you're done with that, you get this, it once again has the mission status screen. Then it goes to, this is the fourth sequence that goes actually into Cyberdyne Systems. And uh, you have to, first of all, get into Cyberdyne Systems. Then you have to go through Cyberdyne Systems uh, halfway through. Well, like a quarter of the way through, you get meet uh, some creatures that apparently were going to be in the movie that never were. Uh, a device called a silverfish, which kind of squirms along the the uh, the floor and then shoots straight up once it's at you, and somehow it takes power off of you. Then the um, there are orbs that fly out of the top or that fly out at you, and then what you got to do on that screen is to shoot and destroy all of the doors that these things are coming out of. Then it proceeds along, then you get to fight another HK where you got to destroy everything off of it, and then you proceed to the next uh, boss. There's pretty much like three bosses on this screen, if you really think about it, which is the Cyberdyne System's main computer. And you got to destroy all of the weapons shooting at you, and then all of the pieces of of the computer. Once you do that, it... um, opens up the time field generator, and then the T-800 goes back in time to present day or 1989 or whatever the movie came out. And then you start going to face off against the T-1000 that came after you. The one thing I kind of liked about this game is it dealt more with the backstory than uh, the movie did. The backstory in the movie was only like 15, maybe 20 minutes tops out of a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie. But uh, the game really focuses a lot on the backstory, which I thought was kind of kind of, uh, kind of, of cool. We're talking about time travel. Is it backstory or forward story? I can't... You can never tell. Maybe it's forward story. Mind blown. Exactly. It's the early part of the movie, and it is technically backstory, but it happens in the future, and... and ah, my brain hurts. My brain hurts! <laughs> Go to the past. The first level, and this is this is my favorite level here. It's um, and once again, it's kind of hard to. It's not hard to pass this level with one person, but it's. But what you have to do is destroy all the equipment so that the future doesn't happen. Now, the game does have thirty more pieces of equipment to destroy than you actually need to prevent the future from happening. You know, you have a little leeway, but it's kind of hard to do with just one person. You can do it. 
it's not like the almost impossible uh, pickup truck sequence, but you can do it. I find it interesting because there's a conceit in the movie where after a while, John Connor, as a kid, tells the T-800 that he can't kill anybody, so he has to only injure them. The very first uh, sequences, since you're pretty much only fighting uh, robots, there's no problem with that. When you're in the past with the T-800 following the plot of the movie, when you're shooting the SWAT team guys, they don't die. They they like, they like curl up, they grab their knee, and roll off the screen. <laughs> so they're injured. They're not dead. So you're not killing anybody, which I thought was kind of uh, interesting. But at any rate, John Connor is walking through the screen, and in this sequence, if you shoot John Connor or Sarah Connor, they don't die. They'll just say, they look at you and say, I love that. No. I love no. that when you... It, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of Crossbow. Don't shoot your friends. Someone shot the food. Badly. Or, you know, gauntlet. Yeah. I No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, don't shoot your friends. The thing I thought was interesting in this one, to help you along, there are barrels of explosives and Sarah Connor walks through putting the detonator on him. You know, you can't shoot and explode the barrel of explosives, which is weird. You have to shoot the detonator that Sarah Connor places on the barrels. So you do that and it'll destroy a bunch of equipment and help you along. Uh, the first portion of that, the first two thirds of that screen is actually in the office part of the Cyberdyne Systems Building. The last third is in the laboratory section. Now, you're going to finish up everything in the laboratory section if you're destroying all the, the content. The first part is the SWAT team that's going after you, shooting you. Uh, sometimes some helicopters will come down and you can uh, knock them out. Every now and then, Sarah Connor will bend over <laughs> and put like the gun that was on the helicopter in, uh, in Terminator 2 uh, on the floor. And you could pick that up and have like and spray the area with bullets as long as you have that, which is kind of fun. In the second portion, when you're in the laboratory area, you still got a lot of equipment to destroy. In this sequence, there are scientists in full hazmat suits throwing vials of some yellow liquid at you, and I've never really understood what the hell it is they're throwing at you. It's lemonade. Oh, you know what? No, it's lemon Gatorade. Oh. Because lemon Gatorade's got salt in it, and salt and water that's rusts right. metal. So that's got to be what it is. They're throwing Gatorade at you. And uh, at the end of the level, once again, Sarah Connor's coming along, putting the stuff down, and then you got a John Connor's just in the way. Uh, I do want to shoot Edward Furlong sometimes, though. Oh, God. Although he was good in the movie American History X, so that, that's not a movie for polite conversation. But then uh, at the end of that level, there is a... Um, there's two glass cases you got to shoot, and one of them, you shoot it, and uh, shoot the one, and then John Connor grabs the... Uh, processor from the T-800 from the movie Terminator 1, and they shoot the other one, and he grabs the arm from T-800 from Terminator 1 as well. Once again, following the plot of the movie. The next screen is pretty hard, but you can do it with one player, and uh, you're escaping Cyberdyne systems in a truck. Following the plot of the movie, T-1000 has gotten into a helicopter and is trying to smash the SWAT van that you escape in. And he's coming from, from behind you, from above, from the upper left, upper right. You just really got to be diligent as to where he's going to be coming down from. You could do this with one player. It's easier with two players because then you can patrol like a section of the screen. After a while, the uh, helicopter will crash. And then, once again, following the, uh, following the movie, he gets into a, uh, a semi-truck and tries to ram the SWAT van from behind. And you got to keep shooting and hitting, throwing missiles 
or whatever at the uh, the cab of the truck to slow him down so he doesn't totally destroy the truck. Uh, if he totally destroys the truck, the same conceit as the pickup truck screen, you lose half of your energy and then you go back and um, you can try it one more time. And then after that is probably the uh, my second favorite screen in the whole game. You know what? I'm, I'm going to change my mind. This is good. this is my favorite game screen in the whole game. The uh, destroy everything in Cyberdyne is my second favorite, but not by much. This is my favorite screen. I lied the first time. And in this screen, the semi that the T-1000 was driving is stopped. And then if everyone remembers the movie, it's liquid nitrogen. So what happens on this screen, there is a bar at the top of the screen that says T-1000 temperature. And you have to get that temperature all the way down to zero. And how you do that is that the T-1000 is there and he's stabbing you or he's like hitting you with like a hammer or something. And what you do is you take your shotgun and you shoot holes in the side of the truck. And outside, out of the truck will come pouring out liquid nitrogen, which brings his temperature down. Uh, you can shoot the T-1000 and he will fall on the ground. He will sometimes melt and go off screen, come back on. The only thing is that if you shoot the T-1000 in the screen, his temperature will go back up slightly. So you got to watch that. This is fun because you can just keep you boom, 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 boom along the side of the the, uh, the truck and all this liquid nitrogen comes out and it's like everywhere he walks, he'll be taking hits with the with the liquid nitrogen. It is a fun screen. If, if there was a game with just that screen, I would play it forever because that is just awesome. It's, it's really fun. And once he gets the temperature all the way down to zero degrees, as in the movie, he freezes in, in place and then Arnold Schwarzenegger takes his gun, shoots him and goes... Hasta la vista, baby. And he falls into pieces. And then the little liquid metal starts coming back together to form the T-1000 again. And Arnold says, run! You know, and then... John Connor is running up the scaffolding in the uh, this all, this screen has kind of irked me always a little bit. There'll be some there'll be shotgun shells falling from the top of the screen which you got to shoot to you know restore. They're like the missiles in this. The past you have shotgun shells, in the future you have rockets. So at the first part, I mean shotgun shells will be falling from the screen, and you got to you know shoot them with your gun to to pick them up, which. To me, you'd think they would explode, kind of like in Zaxxon, where you shoot the fuel thing to replenish your fuel, when in reality, the fuel thing would explode. And then after that, is it before or after that? I actually think it's before that, actually, while John Connor's still running up the uh, the scaffolding, a bunch of iron workers will be coming down with machine guns shooting you. When have you ever visited an iron mill where every all of the employees, hundreds of them, have machine guns? I don't know where I could find that. Oh, no, 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 no. Figured it out. I figured it out. In Northwest Indiana, there's a lot of iron mills, and the biggest ones are in Gary. And everybody in Gary has a gun. Figured it out. All right, so. So after the shotgun shells came down and you collected whatever you need, it's the final battle dun, 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 against the T-1000. What will happen at this screen is that John Connor is on the very right-hand side of the platform. The T-1000 is on the very left. I can't remember exactly how you do it. I think it has something to do with shooting him with the shotgun, but you need to stop him before he gets to John Connor. And then he will come in a close-up at you shooting gun or hitting you with a spike or something. And you have to hit him with your shotgun at some point. And then his, after a while, his head will split in two, like in the movie. And it will fuse back together. And then... All, while all this is going on, you got shotgun shells coming down, but you got to keep watching because there is a gun that will fall down from the screen at that point that you need. First, you need to shoot Robert Patrick, the T-1000, to the back 
of the platform. This is kind of three dimensions in this part. You gotta shoot him all the way to the back, right to where he's right on the edge. Then this gun that you need will fall from the screen. You gotta quickly shoot that, and then hit him with a shotgun shell. It actually, at that point, it torn, turns to the gun that you just you just caught from falling from the top of the screen. Then you shoot him with the shotgun shell. Then he turns into that bizarre-looking, nightmare-inducing puppet thingy that was in T-1000, which was not a digital effect, actually. That was a puppet, which was awesome. And he falls into the uh, into the uh, the vat of molten iron, and the movie's over. Unlike some games that end at that point, you actually get to continue on playing. I don't know if it's any harder, but... Is um, it too late to say spoiler alert? Oh, yeah, it's too late to say Damn. spoiler alert. Everybody's seen Terminator 2. I haven't. You're kidding. You have not seen the movie Terminator 2? If I did, I don't remember a thing about it. It's widely considered by everyone to be the single best action movie ever made. Here's the thing. Everything that you just said, I have to take your word for it, because I may have seen that movie, but I really don't remember it at all. Get thee to Netflix and rent. And I have to take your word about all those screens in the game. I cannot get past the first one. And I don't do the continue thing, because to me, that's wrong. This game is such a freaking quarter well, muncher. A, a few things I did neglect to mention about the game, and I figured I'd just add them in here, is, is that you do have two power meters that you got to watch out for. One is your energy, which is, once that's zero, boom, Ugh. game over. But you also have a gun power meter. That is an interesting feature. Yeah, the longer you shoot the machine gun, the longer that that meter goes down. Now, when you stop shooting, it goes back up. Kind of think of it as more of a uh, like a heat sensor. I think that's a better way of doing it. And if that goes all the way down, you shoot, boom, boom, boom. But if it's all the way to the right, it goes, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. As I was mentioning the boxes earlier, sometimes you'll have power-ups which will replenish your uh, your power on the gun meter. I have not ever found a way to replenish the the, uh, the energy meter. I don't think there is one. Another thing to mention is in the early screens when you see a the T-1000 in a close, it'll sometimes it'll come like right in your face. If you see that, if you keep shooting the head, just the head, and it's not the ones that are in full with full flesh and everything, it's the ones that are just the endoskeleton. If you keep shooting the head over and over, sometimes a CPU chip will fly out. If you shoot that, you'll get some sort of random bonus, uh, anywhere from a power-up to uh, a buttload of bonus points. There is also in the top, by this by your score, is a meter, or not a meter, but a display that'll show you how many, gun, how many uh, missiles you got. I believe the max is 99. There's plenty of those scattered, uh, those are shotgun shells throughout the game. So you got to keep shooting them though, because you'll run through those fast. Now, as you were saying, this game is indeed a quarter muncher, but this is one game where I actually did not mind tossing in quarter after quarter because it's a real fun game. I absolutely love this. An interesting bit about the guns that are on the cabinet. When most people think about guns in the arcade, they're thinking of light guns with the cord to it. These are permanently mounted on a um, platform, like a ledge. Like Like a pivot. Like a regular game does. But they are not actually light guns. They are joysticks in disguise. When you move it, the, uh, the gun isn't sensing the screen to find a place to shoot. You're actually moving the cursor on the screen, which I thought was pretty ingenious. It's simple. I mean, they've they've done stuff like this before in games like, I believe, uh, K-Dash is one that I'm thinking of where you move the joystick and move the cursor around the screen. It's the same thing, but you actually feel like you're actually on the gun because when you hit the trigger, you feel the feedback in the gun. And uh, that was uh, that's pretty cool. And what about the button on the side? I don't recall if there's feedback on that. It's been a while since I've played the arcade. 
I, I have to get over that. I think the last time I played it in the arcade when I was at uh, Galloping Ghost for one of my birthday bashes that actually you were at. <laughs> our, our friend Bob, who run used to run the Revelations BBS, whom we've talked about before, and his wife were actually playing the game and the guns broke <laughs> while they were playing it. Uh, when they got on the machine... They have since been repaired, I promise you that. When they played it, they actually, from what I understand, it had actually just gotten finished being fixed, but apparently it wasn't fixed well enough. But I'll take your word for it. i got to get back up to Galloping Ghost. The thing I hate about that, the only thing that I, to really hate about that place is the lack of parking. It is hard to park around that place. It's You go, you go down Devo Street. You go, there's plenty of parking oh. there. Even Saturday night when there was a buttload of, seriously, that place was jam-packed. I had no problem. Oh, I'll, have to, I'll have to get back out there. As we were saying, it's a quarter muncher, but it's a fun game, and it's got amazing images, and the sound, well, I'll be honest, the sound didn't really blow me away. There is full motion video from the movie, but back in the arcades in that era, uh, full motion video was relegated to just a a tiny portion because of the processing power. Even uh, in the 90s on the PC, uh, people that remember the game Myst didn't have full video covering the whole screen. It was just like, actually, in just like the little in a little window. I mean, that was that was the way. It was just processing power back then. We don't have that now, but that was kind of the norm then. No! But, but I mean, it's a fun game. There's, there's, like I said, the sound is nothing. The sound is really nothing to uh, to write home about. But it's it's got it's it's nice that Arnold actually reprised his role. He was huge, huge mega superstar around that era, and Terminator Two actually made him even bigger, if that was possible. And it was awesome of him to actually come back and do the game. Him, and let's not forget Robert Patrick and Eddie Furlong. Just, you know, Robert Patrick and Eddie Furlong didn't have quite the careers Schwarzenegger has has, uh, but. It was nice of them to all come back to lend their vocal talents and their images to the game. And I don't know why Linda Hamilton didn't do it. That would have been... I mean, the actress that portrayed her, you know, looked like her, but... It would have been still nice if she would have come back for it, but I'm sure she had her reasons. She was probably too busy with the TV show Beauty and the Beast at the time. But just sharing my memories of this, of this game, not a heck of a lot, really. I seem to remember years and years ago playing this on the Sega Genesis with you, actually. I think you had the uh-huh. you either had the game or you borrowed it I or something. I did have the game. And you're like, oh, you gotta play this. And we did a we did a two player cooperative or something, and that's all I remember about that. And um, you know, when I was, I, I tried this in Mame, and and I just remember thinking, just being so disillusioned with this game because, man, it was it's again, it's such a quarter muncher. I mean, yeah, nowadays with these like one price pay gets you all day admission arcade systems now that's not an issue but still just the thought of that it's like come on man you know i think though this is one of the few games that's really worth it though not to me because because you are playing the movie and you're just basically continuing the movie and i i think it works better on a game like this where you're playing a full story from start to finish versus uh, a game like Dig Dug, where you could continue just to see how much higher you can pop your score up. I mean, don't get me wrong, Dig Dug's a gr- Dig Dug Dig Dung, <laughs> Dig Dug is a great game, but the continue feature it just did not need that. Well, here's the thing, Terminator Two, it was obviously designed just to rake in money. That's it. I can't imagine the developer saying, oh yeah, I had this vision and you know I had a lot of fun making it and all this. I can't imagine that because man, what? remember when I, I, I am'd you, I was like, dude, I'm running out of energy. How do you get more energy? And you said, uh, you don't. 
was like, don't. really? Yes. It's like, well, who does that? Who does that? Even I will even in uh, Smash TV, which was the same company, you could at least get free lives in the game. And in fact, the interesting thing about that is is that uh, I believe it was Eugene Jarvis who developed uh, Smash TV. Put the you know you can get a free life every now and then. It's not something you got with a score, but it was a it was, it was like a power up token or yeah. something that you would get every now and then. And what would happen? It would come on the screen, but then he presented it to marketing, and marketing's like, no, we don't want any free lives in this game. No, no, no. So I'm wondering if that whole thing with not replenishing the energy was something uh, something that marketing had their hand in. You know, it, it, it's, it's really a sad story of how, how marketing ruins everything. Yep, absolutely. Marketing gave the Atari 2600 a crappy version of Burger Time. Oh, man. I mean, any version would have been not that great back in that particular era. Ferg. <laughs> but um, they gave us a real crappy version because of marketing. We can't do this game without a bunch of flicker. This game is going to have no flicker. Well, of course, it did, actually did end up having some. But... Some, but it was very minimal. But anyway, we'll talk yeah, about that at a later was, time. Of course. Crappy, but but I'm, my point is, is that it looks, sounds to me like marketing was getting into that. But there is one thing about this game. And normally in the past, I would have rated this a five-star game. But there was something I found in the service mode that intrigued me, pissed me off, but then thinking maybe this, then recently I was thinking about it, maybe it's something that the programmers put in there because they didn't like a decision that marketing did. Do tell. It's, it's interesting to go into some of these games, especially the later ones, and there's something called the service mode where you can change the options, look at the bookkeeping and that. A lot of the earlier games just had dip switches where you could change the number of lives or whatever. I think Williams games, early ones had dip switches, but starting with Robotron, they had menus you could go through and, you know, change settings and make the game harder, easier, put in welcome messages or whatever. Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day arcade game was no different. And I'm, I'm just, I like to scroll through these service screens just to see what's in there. And I saw, and I posted an image of of this on my Facebook page, and I'll have to dig it up and uh, post it to the uh, the Pie Factory page. But there was a thing on there called minimum guaranteed playtime that the arcade owner could set from anywhere from 30 seconds to 90 seconds. The default was, I believe, 30 seconds. So I just found that interesting that you're guaranteed a certain amount of time. Like they know that this game is a quarter muncher, and I'm wondering. I was thinking that that was pretty reprehensible. It shows you the greed, you know, involved in the gaming because they just want you to... But then I'm thinking about, well, maybe they just want people to actually get some bang for their buck, so to speak. Or perhaps maybe the thinking now, maybe the programmer put that in there because they were pissed because they couldn't get something in there so that you could at least recharge portion of your uh, of your energy. But I had never seen anything like that in any game. And in fact, I looked in um, Revolution X, which is kind of the next game in this series, as far as, you know, a gun game that tells a story, except... That game has Aerosmith, and I wouldn't go out of my way to save Aerosmith. But, but I looked through the, uh, the the service mode on Revolution X, and I couldn't find the same feature in there, which I thought was even more curious. I'd like to talk to the programmers of Terminator 2 Judgment Day and ask them about that feature. I don't think many people knew about this. It was quite the fascinating discovery. When you get a game up in MAME, don't just play it. Explore 
the service uh, the service mode features. Explore the dip switches. Explore everything with the game. Is that what you get when you hit the tab key? Yes and no. Uh, if you hit the tab key, you'll get to an area called dip switches. And uh, sometimes in there, you'll have to flip a dip switch to get into the service mode. Sometimes it's like uh, the F2 key to get into service mode because that's a different a different switch on the machine altogether. One thing I would do is hit the tab key and go into uh, and go into the uh, game controls. They have the default controls, but they also have game controls. Go into game controls and see what all the buttons you have in there are because you'll find some interesting stuff in there too. And usually you'll also find the uh, the way to get into the uh, the service mode there. But what is your opinion on the whole minimum guaranteed playtime thing? I've never seen that in a game before or since. Yeah, I didn't really give that a heck of a lot of thought. Other than it's better than maximum guarantee playtime. That's true. That is true. I will give you that. Like I said, originally my I had a huge negative reaction to it, but then thinking about it more, now I'm kind of just like ambivalent toward the whole thing. I, I just found it interesting that there was no such, as far as I could tell, no such same, uh, same feature in... As I said, Revolution X, which is the same kind of game, which makes me think that maybe the programmer put the uh, minimum guaranteed playtime in because he was concerned with it being a quarter muncher, kind of like the story I was telling about uh, Smash TV. And then, you know, that person left the company and then marketing hit, ran, ran away with it. Marketing departments suck. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I wish that that feature were there for games that I suck big time at, like Zaxxon and Kangaroo. Because, <laughs> man, I don't think I last 30 seconds in those games. But, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about the Terminator 2 arcade game itself, but the uh, it appeared on many different many different uh, consoles. It was on the Super Nintendo. You could use the Super Scope gun, which was an actual light gun with it. You could use the Menacer on the Sega Genesis version. Uh, I don't know any much about the uh, about the uh, the PC versions. There were several of them. It says here in Wikipedia that the MS-DOS part of the game was very loyal to the arcade in terms of graphic and speed. However, it was notoriously difficult to run because of the high amount of conventional memory needed to run. 580k out of 640 would usually need either a boot disk or memory tweaking or both in order to load. One thing I had discovered very early on with the Sega Genesis version in the arcade one where you're protecting the truck the uh, the HKs pretty much come out of random in the sky no set pattern or anything on the Sega Genesis version they follow a exact pattern every time it's not random so if you know where to be you can easily get past that screen on the Sega Genesis uh, the home versions are obviously always going to be a little easier because they want you to go back to the arcade and play the slightly harder version they make you think I'm practicing at home I'm really good at this game then you get to the arcade and you're dead in 60 seconds or that's the same marketing logic Atari used for Pac-Man when they put that out in the 2600 yep and um, like I don't know much about the Super Nintendo version, other than it was uh, programmed by the same people. And um, the uh, you could ultimately, ultimately unlimited do unlimited continues as long as you had tokens in the arcade. On the home versions, in some of the boxes, instead of having a power up, you could actually find a hidden token in there, so you could get a continue for each token you found. Which I thought that was kind of a neat uh, cabbage. Cabbage. 
I need to keep a thesaurus on hand so I don't keep using the same words. Uh, I thought that was a neat change to the uh, to the Sega Genesis and uh, Nintendo uh, Super Nintendo version. Uh, apparently, it was also on the Sega Master System. I never played that version, and I had a Sega Master System. That was a fun console. I was just listening to a, uh, a British uh, home video game podcast. I can't remember the name of it. It was Retro Something, and they just did a two-hour episode about the Sega Master System. If you ever get a chance to play a Sega Master System, it is such a much more powerful, better machine than the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, but they just didn't have the titles because of Nintendo's marketing. But that's another, another issue for another day. That's pretty much all I got to say about Terminator 2. I love the game, but that one feature that in in the in the hidden Rutabaga service mode has got me a little flustered, so I can't give it five stars. I have to give it a four. I I have to give it a two out of five. Really? Because here's the thing. Yeah, it's a fun play, but man, I j- I just can't get past it. How you need to repeatedly continue to actually progress anywhere, that that goes against everything I believe. You know, but something that I do have to say. I mean, yeah, it is a fun play. Two things that I wanted that I just wanted to make it a point to say. Number one, if you have played this game in Mame, you have to try the arcade version. Those of you listening in the Chicago area, if you like Terminator Two and you've only played it in Mame or on a home console. Get yourself to Galloping Ghost. It's a completely different... Oh, and one thing we need to say about the main version, and this is something you discovered the other day, which I never never realized, is, is that in the old days of arcade, with, let's say, Space Invaders, you didn't have the monitor sitting at the back of the machine. You had it on like laying flat in front of you but the image was projected onto a mirror and that is the same way that terminator 2 judgment day is it's the monitor sitting flat and it's projected onto a mirror behind on the back of the machine and when you first play it you have to go into the settings and i believe this is in the dip switch area and set it to reverse image otherwise you will be playing a mirror image of the game so make sure you do that. That was the weirdest experience. And the thing is, the first few times I played it in MAME, it was fine. It was fine. I just shut it down once and then started it up again, and suddenly everything was a mirror. I was like, what? Something must have corrupted the configure f- the configuration file for the game. Yeah, because I deleted that and everything was back to normal. Yeah. But yeah, and, some- and speaking of Space Invaders, the other thing I want to make it a point to mention is that, yeah, you can kill, <laughs> essentially, your fr- I don't know who these people are, because again, I never saw the movie, but you can kill those people in front of you who are saying, no, you can do that. No. The funny thing is, I found that I did much better if I did away with one or two of them. Yeah, they, they get in the way, and you do lose uh, points on the um, on the mission complete screens. There is a mission complete screen. Wow, that's news to me. Yeah, I can I can get past the f- no no. Now that I think about it, I don't think I can even get past the first one on just uh, on just one credit. I think I had to put a second one in. But this is this is the game I never felt was like as I said I never felt I was being cheated by ter- by having to put more tokens in. If you're playing it it's it was a lot cheaper than going to see the movie in the theater even back then. I thought it was fun and it was it was a like I said you were you're playing a movie, but you're playing an interactive movie unlike, you know, Dragon's Lair, Space Ace and all of that. 
I felt it was worth the entertainment. And I guess really that's what it comes down to in, with these games that are considered quarter munchers is putting another token in, you know, worth the entertainment to you. And in this case, I would say, yes, it was. Blowing away one of your friends, your assistants, whatever. That's kind of like how some people play Space Invaders and they right away just fire out the uh, the shields, oh, the shields just because right. they find that it gets in the way. Similar thing with Terminator 2 to me. Uh, the only difference is that in Space Invaders, you don't lose points for uh, destroying your own shields. So you like the movie, but because of because of philosophical differences, you can't give it higher than a two. It's not just, but the thing is, like, it would be okay if I felt that I had a reason to continue, which I did, and I was like, well, if that's what I got to do, then I really don't want to play this. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And so with my whole single token, single quarter philosophy, my high score, which I unfortunately could not get refereed because of various reasons, like I couldn't get a screenshot and everything, my high score was 67,750, which, uh, let's see, compared to, um, according to Arcade.com, the world record for a single player, I think, was set by Matt Rocco. On June 15th, 2011, at Galloping Ghost Arcade, 827,700, while Twin Galaxies has it uh, set by Kelly R. Fluin, Mr. Kelly R. Fluin, it says, uh, February 7, 2006, high score of 616,500, which, uh, hey, means, yay, uh, world record for Chicago area, Matt Rocco, woo Who's also a regular at Underground Retrocade, I believe. That is one, uh... That is one thing with this game. Uh, I was thinking about the high scores with, for a game like this. That does, those don't seem horribly high. Uh, no. But the one thing I forgot to mention about this game is that you are constantly getting crap thrown at you. Uh, there's just no time oh, yeah. to think. We were talking about Firefox several episodes ago, and there's stuff coming at you a lot in that in that game. Nothing like this game. This game, there is stuff coming at you left and right. Boom, 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 boom. No let-ups. And the uh, scary thing is uh, the game Revolution X, which we're going to get to some get someday, uh, is even worse in that regard. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about Quarter Munchers? That one's even worse. And I'll just give you a preview of that. I don't know when we're going to do that one. but uh... Oh, by the way, are we pretty much done with Terminator 2 Judgment Day here? Yeah, I, I'm done with it. So uh, should we uh, say what the theme is? Yeah, uh, games that have the name of... Schwarzenegger movies. There yeah, go. the second ones. This Terminator 2 Judgment Day is kind of cheating. <laughs> but, you know, hey, it is the title of a Schwarzenegger movie, so bite me. And me too. Bite us both. So should we uh, should we let the uh, let our fine listeners in, in a, and our listeners that are not fine at all, should we let them in on uh, what we're going to talk about the next time we discuss uh, two games in a theme? So, Sean, what games are we going to be talking about next time around? Well, in alphabetical order, next time around, we will be talking about Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man. And Burger Time. And Burger Time. And I know what the theme is already. Games that have consonants in their names. Will you stop giving away the theme? <laughs> well, at any rate, I hope everybody had fun in enjoying our discussion. I know the discussion on uh, Commando was a little light, but uh, we really dug into Terminator 2. There was a lot to dig into, but uh, you 
kids, get off my lawn. I don't know what the hell I was going to say there. But yes, kids, get off my lawn. And we will see you next week. And once again, this is Jimmy G. And this is um, somebody else. Uh, still haven't decided on a snazzy name. Big McLarge Huge. Big McLarge Huge. <laughs> so we will talk to you next week. And we will see you then. Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Jim and Sean can be contacted on Facebook via the Pie Factory podcast page, over email at piefactory at fab4it.com, or over Twitter at piefactorypfp. Visit the Pie Factory podcast on the web via Flarkit, flark.it slash piefactory. Hurts!